Look, a book. A podcast where Auckland librarians read stories. Join us each episode as we read moments from the stories we love. Right now, we're exploring The Wind in the Willows by Kenneth Graham, a fantastical tale about the adventures of Mole, Ratty and Badger, and about the misadventures of their friend, Mr Toad. Today we have John from Birkenhead Library. Kia ora. And me, Ella, from Kaipataki Libraries. Not that long ago, in a place not that far away, a group known as the Librarians gathered together to retell the classic stories that they love. While in the middle of their meeting, they heard a sudden, loud crash and a sad poop-poop. They dashed outside to find a toad sitting in the middle of the road holding just a steering wheel. This was none other than the little rascal Mr. Toad from The Wind in the Willows. So the librarians decided to take him back to the safety of Toad Hall and try to keep his mind off cars. Today, we are exploring the whimsical world of The Wind in the Willows. The author... Kenneth Graham lived by the River Thames with his grandmother when he was young. The time he spent here was some of the happiest in his life and set the scene for the stories in The Wind in the Willows. These tales were first told as bedtime stories. Graham would tell his son Alistair all about Mole, Ratty, Badger and Toad and their marvellous adventures on the riverbank. Today, The Wind in the Willows is known as one of the most popular classic children's books of all time. We have read it over and over again and have come to know the characters as if they were old friends. Naturally, we are so excited to delve into their world with you today. I couldn't keep away from the adventures of Mr. Toad, so I came back to read what happens after he escapes from prison. This chapter is great, as it shows that Mr. Toad can come so close to learning his lesson before slipping back into his old ways. He sows more chaos in this chapter in fun and exciting ways. Chapter 10. The Further Adventures of Mr. Toad As he trampled along gaily, he thought of his adventures and escapes, and how when things seemed at their worst, he had always managed to find a way out. And his pride and conceit began to swell within him. Ho ho, he said to himself, as he marched along with his chin in the air. What a clever toad I am. There is surely no animal equal to me for cleverness in the whole world. My enemies shut me up in prison, encircled by sentries, watched night and day by warders. I walked out through them all by sheer ability coupled with courage. They pursue me with engines and policemen and revolvers. I snap my fingers at them and vanish, laughing, into space. What of it? I swim ashore, I seize a horse, I ride off in triumph, and I sell the horse for a whole pocket full of money and an excellent breakfast. Ho ho! I am the toad, the handsome, the popular, the successful toad. He got so puffed up with conceit he made up a song as he walked in praise of himself, and sang it at the top of his voice, though there was no one to hear it but him. It was perhaps the most conceited song that any animal ever composed. The world has had great heroes, as history books have showed, but never a name to go down to fame compared with that of Toad. The clever men at Oxford known all that there is to be known, but they, none of them know, one half as much as intelligent as Mr. Toad. The animals sat in the ark and cried, their tears and torrents flowed. Who was it said, this land ahead, encouraging Mr. Toad? The army all saluted as they marched along the road. Was it King or Kitchener? No, it was Mr. Toad. The queen and her ladies-in-waiting sat at the window and sewed. She cried, look, who's that handsome man? They answered, Mr. Toad. There was a great deal more of the same sort, but too dreadfully conceited to be written down. 
These are some of the milder verses. He sang as he walked, and he walked as he sang, and more inflated every minute, but his pride was shortly to have a severe fall. After some miles of country lanes, he reached the high road, and as he turned into it and glanced along its right length, he saw approaching him a speck that turned into a dot, and then into a blob, and then into something very familiar, and a double note of warning only too well known fell on his delighted ear. This is something like, said the excited toad, this is real life again. This is once more the great world from which I have missed so long. I will hail them, my brothers of the wheel, and pitch them a yarn of the sort that has been so successful here throw, and they will give me a lift, of course, and then I will talk to them some more, and perhaps, with luck, it may even end in me driving up to Toad Hall in a motor car. That will be one in the eye for Badger. He stepped confidently out into the road to hail the motor car, which came along at an easy pace, slowing down as it neared the lane, when suddenly he became very pale, his heart turned to water, his knees shook and yielded under him, and he doubled up and collapsed with a sickening pain in his interior. And well he might, the unhappy animal, for the approaching car was the very one he had stolen out of the yard of the Red Lion Hotel on that fatal day, when all his troubles began, and the people in it were the very same people he had sat and watched at luncheon in the coffee room. He sank down in a shabby, miserable heap in the road, murmuring to himself in his despair. It's all up. It's all over now. Chains and policemen again. Prison again. Dry bread and water again. Oh, what a fool I have been. What did I want to go strutting about the country for? Singing conceited songs and hailing people in broad day on the high road, instead of hiding till nightfall and slipping home quietly by backways. Oh, hapless toad. Oh, ill-fated animal. The terrible motor car drew slowly nearer and nearer, till at last he heard it stop just short of him. Two gentlemen got out and walked round the trembling heap of crumpled misery lying in the road. One of them said, Oh dear, this is very sad. Here is a poor old thing, a washerwoman apparently, who has fainted in the road. Perhaps she is overcome by the heat, poor creature, or possibly she has not had any food today. Let us lift her into the car and take her to the nearest village, where doubtless she has friends. They tenderly lifted Toad into the motor car, and propped him up with a soft cushion, and proceeded on their way. When Toad heard them talking so kind and sympathetic a way, and knew that he was not recognised, his courage began to revive, and he cautiously opened first one eye, and then the other. Look, said one of the gentlemen, she is better already. The fresh air is doing her good. How do you feel now, ma'am? Thank you kindly, sir, said Toad in a feeble voice. I'm feeling a great deal better. That's right, said the gentleman. Now keep quite still, and above all, don't try to talk. I won't, said Toad. I was only thinking if I might sit on the front seat there, beside the driver, where I could get the fresh air full in my face. I should soon be all right again. What a very sensible woman, said the gentleman. Of course you shall. So they carefully helped Toad into the front seat beside the driver, and on they went again. Toad was almost himself again by now. He sat up looked about him, and tried to beat down the tremors, the yearnings, the old cravings that rose up beset him, and took possession of him entirely. It is fate, he said to himself. Why strive? Why struggle? And he turned to the driver aside. Please, sir, he said, I wish you would kindly let me try and drive the car for a little. I've been watching you carefully, and it looks so easy and so interesting, and I should like to be able to tell my friends that once I had driven a motor car. The driver laughed at the proposal, so heartily that the gentleman inquired what the matter was. When he heard, he said to Toad's delight, Bravo, ma'am! 
I like your spirit. Let her have a try and look after her. She won't do any harm. Toad eagerly scrambled into the seat, vacated by the driver, took the steering wheel in his hands, listened with affected humility to the instructions given him, and set the car in motion, but very slowly and carefully at first, for he was determined to be prudent. The gentlemen behind clapped their hands and applauded, and Toad heard them saying, How well she does it! Fancy a washerwoman driving a car as well as that the first time. Toad went a little faster, then faster still, and faster. He heard the gentleman call out warningly, Be careful, washerwoman! And this annoyed him, and he began to lose his head. The driver tried to interfere, but he pinned him down in his seat with one elbow, and put on full speed. The rush of air in his face, the hum of the engines, and the light jump of the car beneath him intoxicated his weak brain. Washerwoman indeed, he shouted recklessly. Ho ho ho, I am the toad, the motor car snatcher, the prison breaker, the toad who always escapes. Sit still and you shall know what driving really is, for you are in the hands of the famous, the skillful, the entirely fearless toad. I chose this chapter as it reminds me of being a child and going on great adventures with my friends, arming ourselves with sticks and venturing off into the forest to fight unknown bad guys, always returning home covered in dirt and twigs. The excitement portrayed in this chapter made me feel like an adventuring child again, ready to take on the world and exact justice. When it began to grow dark, the rat, with an air of excitement and mystery, summoned them back into the parlour, stood each of them up alongside of his little heap, and proceeded to dress them up for the coming expedition. He was very earnest and thorough going about it, and the affair took quite a long time. First, there was a belt to go round each animal, and then a sword to be stuck into each belt, and then a cutlass on the other side to balance it, then a pair of pistols, a policeman's truncheon, several sets of handcuffs, some bandages and sticking plaster, and a flask and a sandwich case. The badger laughed good-humouredly and said, All right, Ratty, it amuses you and it doesn't hurt me. I'm going to do all I've got to do with this here stick. But the rat only said, Please, Badger, you know I shouldn't like you to blame me afterwards and say I had forgotten anything. When all was quite ready, the badger took a dark lantern in one paw, grasped his great stick with the other hand and said, Now then, follow me. Mole first, because I'm very pleased with him. Rat next, toad last, and look here, toady. Don't you chatter so much as usual, or you'll be sent back as sure as fate. The toad was so anxious not to be left out that he took up the inferior position assigned to him without a murmur, and the animal set off. The badger led them along by the river for a little way, and then suddenly swung himself over the edge into a hole in the river bank, a little above the water. The mole and the rat followed silently, swinging themselves successfully into the hole as they'd seen badger do. But when it came to toad's turn, of course he managed to slip and fall into the water with a loud splash and a squeal of alarm. He was hauled out by his friends, rubbed down and wrung out hastily, comforted and set on his legs. But the badger was seriously angry, and told him that the very next time he made a fool of himself, he would most certainly be left behind. So at last they were in the secret passage, and the cutting out expedition had really begun. It was cold and dark and damp and low and narrow, and poor Toad began to shiver, partly from the dread of what might be before him, partly because he was wet through. The lantern was far ahead, and he could not help lagging behind a little in the darkness. Then he heard the rat call out warningly, Come on, Toad! And the terror seized him of being left behind, alone in the darkness, 
and he came on with such a rush that he upset the rat into the mole and the mole into the badger, and for a moment all was confusion. The badger thought they were being attacked from behind, and as there was no room to use a stick or a cutlass, drew a pistol and was on the point of putting a bullet into Toad when he found out what had really happened, and he was very angry indeed, and said, Now this time that tiresome Toad shall be left behind. But Toad whimpered, and the other two promised that they would be answerable for his good conduct, and at last the badger was pacified, and the procession moved on. Only this time the rat brought up the rear, with a firm grip on the shoulder of Toad. So they groped and shuffled along, with their ears pricked up and their paws on their pistols, till at last the badger said, we ought by now to be pretty nearly under the hall. Then suddenly they heard, far away as it might be, and yet apparently nearly over their heads, a confused murmur of sound, as if people were shouting and cheering and stamping on the floor and hammering on tables. The toad's nervous terrors all returned, but the badger only remarked placidly, They are going it, the weasels. The passage now began to slope upwards. They groped onward a little further, then the noise broke out again, quite distinct this time, and very close above them. Hooray! 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 They heard, and the stamping of little feet on the floor, and the clinking of glasses as little fists pounded on the table. What a time they're having, said the badger. Come on. They hurried along the passage till it came to a full stop, and they found themselves standing under the trap door that led up to the butler's pantry. Such a tremendous noise was going on in the banqueting hall that there was little danger of their being overheard. The badger said, Now, boys, all together and the four of them put their shoulders to the trapdoor and heaved it back. Hoisting each other up, they found themselves standing in the pantry, with only a door between them and the banqueting hall, where their unconscious enemies were carousing. The noise, as they emerged from the passage, was simply deafening. At last, as the cheering and hammering slowly subsided, a voice could be made out saying, "'Well, I do not propose to detain you much longer,' great applause, "'but before I resume my seat,' renewed cheering, I should like to say one word about our kind host, Mr. Toad. We all know Toad. Great laughter. Good Toad. Modest Toad. Honest Toad. Shrieks of merriment. Only just let me get at a muttered Toad, grinding his teeth. Hold hard a minute, said the badger, restraining him with difficulty. Get ready, all of you. Let me sing you a little song, went on the voice, which I have composed on the subject of Toad. Prolonged applause. Then the chief weasel... For it was he. Toad, he went to pleasuring gaily down the street. The badger drew himself up, took a firm grip of his stick with both paws, glanced round at his comrades and cried, The hour is come, follow me, and flung the door open wide. My, what a squealing and squeaking and screeching filled the air. Well might the terrified weasels dive under the table and spring madly up at the windows. Well might the ferrets rush wildly for the fireplace and get hopelessly jammed in the chimney. Well might tables and chairs be upset, and glass and china be sent crashing on the floor in the panic of that terrible moment when the four heroes strode wrathfully into the room. The mighty badger, his whiskers bristling, his great cudgel whistling through the air. Mole, black and grim, brandishing his stick and shouting his awful war cry. A mole! A mole! Rat, desperate and determined, his belt bulging with weapons of every age and every variety. Toad, frenzied with excitement and injured pride, swollen to twice his ordinary size, leaping into the air and emitting toad whoops that chilled them to the marrow. Toad, he went a pleasuring, he yelled. I'll pleasure him. And he went straight for the chief weasel. They were but four in all, 
that to the panic-stricken weasels the hall seemed full of monstrous animals, grey, black, brown and yellow, whooping and flourishing enormous cudgels as they broke and fled with squeals of terror and dismay. This way and that, through the windows, up the chimney, anywhere to get out of reach of those terrible sticks. What exciting adventures this week! Mr. Toad as always is very entertaining, and the group storming the Hall of the Weasels is a tremendous joy. So thanks again for listening, old chap. Keep listening to find out more of the adventures that Mr. Toad, Ratty, and Badger get up to in the next episode of Look a Book. We are so lucky Kenneth Graham decided to write down these bedtime stories. The adventures of Graham's woodland creatures are of an idolized Edwardian life. Long golden summers spent playing with the boats, picnics aplenty, rambling about with friends. Did it fill you with nostalgia for a time long ago? Or maybe it made you look forward to our long New Zealand summer ahead. Stay tuned for more episodes with librarians reading The Wind in the Willows. Also, head down to your local library to find one of the many different versions or retellings for you to read, watch, or listen to. Ka kite, ano.